Hello, and welcome to the OWL podcast. This is episode number one, and we are talking to Craig Curtis, who is happily employed by SATCOM Direct based out of Melbourne, Florida. Listen in to see how he got to where he is now. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. I am so glad that you have joined us. Today, we're going to highlight Craig Curtis. He is the Schedule and Dispatch Manager for SATCOM Direct and based in Melbourne, Florida. Thank you, Craig, very much for taking your time to tell us about yourself and what you do. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I would like to just jump in. This is a um, question that all of us have. Like, How did you get into this? industry and into the job because it's so different for everybody by chance i literally fell into it i when i joined the army i went to the army job officer i told him i wanted aviation and he told me infantry and i started to get up and he came back and said well i have this aviation operations job and okay. it looked it looked interesting and i said well that looks interesting i just said i wanted aviation so i basically was handed a piece of paper and said, you're going to go do operations for aviation at 18 years old. And that's how and I've been doing it ever since. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So how did they, what did they teach you in the beginning? Did you have to go through other than probably boot camp, but other than boot camp, uh, army aviation operations. And I'm going to say probably all U S military aviation operations are pretty much the same. As a civilian world, there's a lot of similarities between military and aviation, a chain of command, crews, scheduling, pilots, understanding what you can and can't do with the airframe, be it a helicopter or an airplane, uh, training, understand who needs the training. The training may change between night vision goggles and IFR, but it's still training. So there's a lot of similarities to, to grow from the military and just transition right into the civilian world. Interesting. Okay. So then how did you, obviously you're in the civilian world now, so what did you do after that? So just before I got out of the military, after eight years, um, I got my dispatch license. So I went to Sheffield down in Southern Florida and got my license. And again, sometimes it's good to be lucky than just kind of know what you're doing. Um, while I was at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, the local school came through and said, we'll give you your dispatch license. Well, that was the written portion. And when I was deployed to Kuwait, planning for a different mission, I ran across the rules for the dispatcher and did not realize I needed the oral exam. And I had, was running out of time. So I actually signed up for Sheffield while I was in a desert. And as soon as I came back, I finished up my dispatch license and not knowing any different, it made it easier to not stress about it and how hard it was going to be. <laughs> Just dive right in. Yes. All right. <laughs> so Very I went and got my dispatch license. And then when I got out of the army, um, did not know about business aviation, but I started in a cargo company outside Detroit and doing full dispatching for DC-9s and Falcon 20s on the cargo side. And that 
apply the dispatch license where you do the flight planning, run, look for notams, look for weather, um, performance. You have to know how much weight you can carry based on the, air, the runway lengths. Mm-hmm. Is it fuel or cargo? What's going to give? Um, did that for a couple of years. And then I'm probably the only person that's ever worked for all three car companies at pretty much the same time and never moved their chair. <laughs> so <laughs> after the cargo, I got into business aviation. At the time, Daimler Chrysler and General Motors had a partnership for a charter certificate. Called, and this will go way back for those in the 2000s. Automotive Air Charter. Used to be AACI. So Daimler Chrysler ran the operation, but they could not own their certificate because they were a German company. So General Motors owned General Motors owned fifty one percent of their certificate, but Daimler did everything. So I was hired by General Motors, worked at the Daimler Chrysler flight department on behalf of General Motors, paid by Daimler Chrysler, and a couple months later. Daimler Chrysler was bought out. The flight department was bought out by Etzel Ford of the Ford family. And I never moved my chair. Wow. Oh my God. <laughs> so, and that's how I got into business aviation and uh, doing the charter sales in the beginning. And then uh-huh. transfer. And then, so I've done the sales part and then uh-huh. rotated over to manage and do the actual coordinating and planning for. Uh, business aircraft and okay. a lot of it was the heavy aircrafts. I had the Gulfstream fives, the five fifties, the global expresses. So uh-huh. I did all the worldwide planning. Really? Okay. And then after that, where did you head? So then I wanted after, I think it was about 12 years doing that. I went back into the airlines and there I went into a domestic flag. 121 carrier, just like a Delta Southwest um, type of operations to where the dispatcher has operational control with the crew of the aircraft. So the captain has to agree with what everything that the dispatcher has does or has done. And each person has to give what they call time and initials and say, we agree on the flight plan based on the fuel load, tax load, whatever it may be. And then they have dual control over that flight. So at that point, I think that I'm going to say at that point, flight following, it's like flight following that we do with the business aviation. You agree on everything. And then once the plane takes off, that's where, that's where the real work begins because you're following that flight, ensuring everything is done correctly before they land. I think that's, um, an interesting point. And, you know, part 91, we don't technically have operational control as the dispatcher. Um, and I think oftentimes where our, our position is looked more in uh, uh, almost an admin type of position. And I really like that operational control, or at least the joint effort between scheduling and dispatch and the, and the crew members to jointly say, yes, I agree on this. And and you're right, the flight following. That's that's when the work begins. So yeah, sorry, continue. I I just really like that point. No, it's uh that flight following is a big piece even in the 
you know, the Delta and the Southwest and United World, uh, that's a big piece understanding the weather that they're going to be going into. Should they deviate? Should you put more fuel on board? Should you, where should you pick your fuel stop? Should you pick your fuel stop, say DFW, where there's more commercial service in case something does go wrong? Or should you pick somewhere like, you know, sugar, you know, something different where there may not be commercial service, but maybe better fuel price. So how important it is it to where you're going? Do you have time if you have a, a mechanical or something does not go the way it's supposed to do? And that's where that dual planning comes in between the dispatcher and the crew. Looking ahead, what do we need to do? Uh, sometimes it's not about the price of the fuel, but it's a price that's about the convenience for the passengers to get to where they need to go. If they have a little extra time, then you could take the price and do a, you know look at the price of the fuel for a fuel stop. So there's so many different aspects of any leg, and no two legs are the same because weather yeah. dictates something different. Their meeting may be different. There's so everything is new. You redo everything over and over again. Um, but you hopefully are organized to understand the questions that you need to ask in order to get the answers that are needed. So that's where that dual operation, you know, on the airlines, it's operational control, but in business aviation, that's where the crew, the crew resource management comes in, including that scheduler and dispatcher in the planning phase, having them part of the decision-making and educating that person to understand what is the performance of the aircraft to the, can they make it nonstop? What is the performance of the runway? Do I need to, can I go round trip without having to buy fuel? Do I need to go find somewhere else who has fuel? So understanding the aspects of the performance of the airplane, along with the facilities of where you're going to. Yep. Uh, I, I totally agree. So how do you bring all that experience that you've had? There are a ton of, of different aviation industry experience. How do you bring that into what you do right now? So anytime I get a new trip, and especially now with the new COVID restrictions, not just internationally, but even domestically, I look at everything at a glance, look high level and see if anything outstanding sticks out before I reply back to a request for a new flight. You know, everything's going to change and it may be a request a month out and that's fine. But we want to make sure that the airport will be open. It won't be closed for construction because they'll definitely yeah. give you the heads up on that. Um, and just looking at it overall, do I, or do I not need a fuel stop? Is it within the capabilities of the airplane? And then looking at what the COVID restrictions are now, even domestically, do the passengers and crew need a test prior to leaving? prior to arriving and just giving that information beforehand. So as the planning stages go on and you get closer and closer to departure time, that information and those questions have already been asked and answered. You're anticipating what can be asked and what could cause a deviation in the plan and try to mitigate. Sure, and you've already, yeah. Yeah. Cause we've already checked on that stuff. Yep. Beforehand. That's where an effective scheduler dis that's where an effective scheduler dispatcher really puts themselves at a good place within the company because you're anticipating, not waiting. 
Uh-huh. And there at FB, you run a pretty, um, a unique flight department. Um, you guys do a lot of different types of flying, um, being that you're testing some of your products and um, you are, yeah, you are a, a vendor as well. Yes. Um, yeah. What about your flight department that you're in right now that um, is unique? This is a very unique flight department because, like you said, I'm not only working within the flight department, but I'm also a customer of the company. So being a customer puts me in a unique position to work directly with the engineers on a lot of the equipment and or software. So we are the number one test. Um, we test everything first. So, you know, like I do and everybody, not everything goes smooth on the first go around. <laughs> so okay. um, we tried to iron out the bugs beforehand and we tried to put everything through uh, every real life scenario using real life flight department data before kind of pushing it out to market, trying to do as much testing as possible. So this is not just being part of the flight department planning flights, but it's also working with our engineering group on what is working, what's not working, and what's the feedback on not only performance, but just how does it flow? How does this work? So there's a lot of back and forth to help provide a better product to the customer across the board, be it in the airplane or in the software side. We are testing it all. Interesting. Very interesting. So, okay, Craig, I want to kind of switch away from work type of things and go into maybe outside of work. Um, I know you work a lot, but what other things other than aviation are you passionate about? Uh, my getaway and my go-to, I've, I've got two things. Either because I live on the East Coast, outside Melbourne, Florida, going to the beach. Just taking a fishing pole, taking a fishing pole, sitting on the beach, and trying to surf fish and catch whatever gets on the hook. The other thing I like to do is go on the other side to Siesta Key without a fishing pole and disconnect <laughs> as much turn, as possible. Turn your Just, phone off. I wish that was possible. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but it is... It's nice to get away, go go to the beach, and just listen to the waves. And going to the East Coast is different than going to the West Coast. But sitting on the West Coast at somewhere like Siesta Key, Sarasota, where the waves are just much calmer and smoother, and it's just kind of recharges the batteries, or going fishing off the shore and catching sharks or stingrays is, keeps it exciting and free. Very cool. That sounds great. Well, I'm sure a lot of people can identify with the not able to turn off your phone, but at least you get a different view. Yes. And you're outside and, and you see something different. Very cool. Excellent. Well, how about um, uh, one last question? Uh, what about if you've got somebody new coming into the industry or perhaps somebody that's already in the industry? What do you uh, suggest to them? What do you think is important for them to know? I guess I've learned being in this industry for over, I guess, 28 years now or so, that working, yeah, 
I, I, I try not to remember. It's like, man, that's been a long time since. <laughs> um, one of the things I learned early on when I just got into business aviation, the networking. Business aviation mm -hmm. is different than the commercial airlines because the commercial airlines, everything's cut and dry. Everything's black and white. You either can do it or you can't do it. It's very clear. And the rules, mm -hmm. you can go find the rules for you. In business aviation, there's really no formal training for this. There's, you don't go to a college and say, hey, I want to take business aviation. Um, with that, even somebody who's been in the industry for a long time, doesn't matter one year or 30 years, there's no one single source of rules. So flying to the Bahamas may be different than flying to Canada, especially right now with the pandemic going on. So where do you go find that? Yeah. You really have to rely on your peers who may fly more to one region than you do to help mm -hmm. guide where to go find that information. So networking has been a huge part of my success in business aviation. Uh, continued education, okay. going to the schedulers and dispatchers conference, you know, yeah, it's great to go all, to all the parties and see all the friends, but the classes, that's really invaluable because that's really where you learn what's going on across the industry, mm -hmm. business aviation industry. And that's going to help you again with the networking and your educational, uh, and do classes that the pilots do dispatch license, understand the performance. And then last, actually go do it. See if you can go jump seat and go on a trip. Even if it's just a day trip where you go out and back, but go visit an FBO and understand what it, what it's like when the crews and the passengers land. Mm -hmm. is, the, yeah. is the rental car going to be there? Is the rental car going to be allowed on the ramp? What are the securities? For that airport what size fuel truck how long does it take to do you know for a fuel truck to put gas on board just understanding the there's so many different pieces to make a trip successful and actually going to see those pieces in play really give a better understanding of how long to plan for a fuel stop mm -hmm. oh do they have a ten thousand gallon truck or a five thousand gallon truck for fuel mm -hmm. that could really play a difference if you're going to get six thousand gallons of gas it sure does yep it sure does Craig, this is a really great and important point keep going sorry gonna no like i said those just just those are you know get out on the road and see it don't don't hide behind the desk mm -hmm. i do i agree I, I think networking it's it's so huge in this industry it like so needed you've got to do that you've got to get outside of your office like you said don't stay behind the desk and then education, there's not a lot of op options as far as formal education out there. So use your, use your network, ask your friends, ask your coworkers. And that's so, yep. so true. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Craig, thank you very much for joining us today. It was really interesting hearing your background and, um, yeah, if, if anyone has any questions for you? Is it all right if they reach out to you? Yes, please reach out. You know, anything I could do to help, feel free to give me a call, shoot me an email, and I'm here because I will be asking questions too to others. So I ask questions too. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> great. Great. That's awesome. Well, thank you again very much for your time, Craig, and uh, we'll catch up with you again later. All right. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks. Attack. Follow